Hi, La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad you're watching. Here are some services that are coming up. The first will be our Christmas Eve service held on December 24th at 4 p.m. We hope you'll come a little earlier so you can enjoy some cocoa and snacks. There will be Christmas music, a sermon, and our traditional candlelight time of worship at the end of service. If you can't attend that day, we also have a digital option that you can check out on ljcc.org anytime after four o'clock. You're still gonna hear that same great music and sermon, but we'd sure love to have you join us if you can possibly do it. And lastly, on December 26th, we'll be holding a digital service only, so there will be no church that day. Please join us online anytime after 9 a.m. where you'll hear more worship music and a sermon. We thank you so much and look forward to being with you as we celebrate Jesus, the reason for the season. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Will you stand with us as we start worship this morning?
Heavenly Father, God Almighty, it is with greatest and deepest gratitude in our hearts that we gather together on this third Sunday of Advent to praise you and worship you, the promised Messiah, the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. You are our provider, our strength, our all in all. We exalt and adore you, for you are worthy of all glory and honor. You are holy above all, King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we confess the truth of our sins and our absolute need for you as our Savior and giver of eternal life. We pray that you will draw us into a massive repentance personally, as a church, and as a nation, that we may return to being united in family, united in faith, and a united nation under God. Hear now our silent confession. Thank you that if we confess our sins, you will hear our prayers and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, for the teams of men and women that you have sent to those who have been hurt by tornadoes. I pray that you will cause them to reach out to you, Lord Jesus, and receive your care and comfort in their time of crisis. As Christians, Lord, you have called us to be a light and love in the world. I pray that this Christmas your light and love in us will be brighter and more evident than ever before. May we choose to magnify you, Lord, and rejoice in Jesus Christ, in the name whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, La Jolla Community Church. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. I hope everybody's staying warm and cozy on this frigid San Diego winter day. Again, I thank you all so much for joining us on this wonderful Sunday. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I'm the director of youth ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. On your way in, you should have received one of our lovely little bulletins. If you did not, feel free to grab them. Janet's holding them up right in the back. But we would love for everybody to grab one of these because if you notice, right in the middle, these perfect little bulletins that Josh designed for us. Thank you, Josh. These awesome bulletins, they tear in half. And this top half, especially during this season, we're hoping and that we're praying that everybody grabs one of these and takes it home and gives them to somebody that they care about. I know there's a lot of people hurting, struggling, or lost this Christmas season. And maybe all it takes is us reaching out and saying, hey, Come hang out with me on Christmas Eve. Got some fun cookies. We'd love to have you. Give this to somebody that you love. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be somebody that you just met. I don't know. There are lots of people who need to feel the love of Jesus. And if you've been to one of our Christmas Eve services, it is one of the most beautiful, wonderful, Jesus-filled places you can be. So please take this top half home. Give it to somebody that you care about. And this bottom half I'm going to go through with you right now. On this first side, it says get connected with us. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church get you plugged in and involved in some of the wonderful events and ministries that we have going on here at church. So if you would like to be a part of something, get involved, get engaged, please take a moment, fill out your information, let us know how we can get you 
you um, connected and in charge. And the last one on the back side of that, it says, let us pray for you. We at La Jolla Community Church, especially during this time, believe in the power of prayer, lifting each other up, coming together as a family to provide for our needs. If you've got something that you're just extra struggling with this season, you need a little extra injection of love from God, take a moment, please. Fill this out. Let us know how we can pray for you. Every week, we've got a team of prayer warriors that goes over each and every individual prayer. So if you've got a little praise report or something wonderful in your life or just need a little extra help, please take a moment, fill out that prayer card, and then on your way out, you can drop it off uh, in the entryway right there along with your offering that should be in the basket right in front of you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Sunday, and I would love to invite Pastor Steve us to, up to lead us in a message. Ryan. Well, this is a big week as we... Uh you get everything done that you're trying to get done for Christmas, and maybe you're already done, maybe uh, your personal shopper, FedEx, or whoever at Amazon has taken, it, taken care of it for you. Otherwise, it's a big week. And then uh, next Friday, we gather here for a wonderful uh, candlelit Christmas Eve service. And wow, where did the year go? Uh, where did the year go? We uh, have been talking about the fact that Jesus is the hope of the world during this Advent season. We've talked about his creativity, uh, his commitment. We've talked about his provision. Uh, actually, today we're talking about his provision in the context of his creativity. He made all things, uh, and he's given us the capacity to think and, and function creatively. Uh, he showed us uh, his, his seriousness about not only uh, creating all things, but sustaining all things, and now redeeming all things in Christ. So we're talking about how he provided for that. A little boy was sent home early from school, and his dad was surprised. Hey, what happened? And he said, well... Uh, Dad, it was not a big deal. Well, what did you do? Well, um, I was in, in the cafeteria, and uh, there was a big bowl of apples there, and it said, take one, God is watching. <clears throat> he said, okay, what else happened? He goes, well, then there's a big bowl of cookies, and it didn't have a sign, so I made a sign. And then what happened? What did your sign say? Well, it said, Take all you want. God is watching the apples. <laughs> uh, it's a cute joke and funky theology uh, because God sees everything, right? He sees everything. And what does he see when he looks at this world? Uh, it's from that, that great song, O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining, as I mentioned last week, is not just you have a longing or a yearning for something wonderful, uh, but rather... I'm wasting away. It's not, it's not good. I don't know how much time I have left. How long can I hold on? And this is the, the world that God sees. And uh, he wants to bless us. Uh, he's not watching it. We might take one too many apples. He wants us to have life in all its fullness. And he sees that that's not the case. And yet he's made provision for us. Uh, if you look in Genesis uh, 22, uh, 14, uh, God called a man named Abram to put his trust in him. And he said, through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And Abram, of course, points out that well, I don't even have a family. My wife and I have not been able to bear children, and we're old. And he said, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. And so in this process, he gives him a son. And he says, Abraham, uh, you need to sacrifice your son to me. And it's one of the most horrific uh, passages in the Bible. Uh, we have a hard time getting our head and our heart around and I think it's that way on purpose. God wants us to know what it means to have your head and your heart wrapped around this notion that the most precious thing to you is the thing that you'd be willing to sacrifice. So what looks like a very gruesome, outrageous 
uh, uh, situation is really uh, an incredible act of God's tender mercies. Uh, because as the young boy says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Uh, you can imagine being that father, uh, now called Abraham. And he said, the Lord will provide. And sure enough, uh, uh, God did provide. A ram caught in a thicket adjacent to this outcropping where they were. And so they sacrificed that ram. So God, uh, so a- uh, Abraham called the place Yehovah Yireh. Yehovah Yireh. Uh, the Lord provides. And so that's, that's one of the known names of God. Uh, El Shaddai, the Almighty, uh, Jehovah Yireh, the one who provides. And, and so this is what we want to focus on today, reflect on a little bit. What does it mean that God provides? Well, to summarize, you know, Advent, to summarize the entire gospel, it's because Jesus is the hope of the world, um, that he is God's sacrifice for us. Why is he the hope of the world? Because he is God's sacrifice for us. He's God's provision for us. And this raises some very animated conversations in our culture because we, we consider ourselves, we bequeath to ourselves the title of most advanced, most evolved, most knowledgeable, most ethical, most righteous, uh, all-knowing. You know, uh, it's like we're just short of building ourselves a place called Oz and standing behind a curtain and putting off fireworks and loud noises to impress everybody. I mean, it's a really silly thing that we've done is to set ourselves up for the arbiters of what is righteousness. And so our first, my first response to this passage is to judge God. This is outrageous. And then you send your son to be crucified? That's outrageous. That's grotesque. No, not really. Uh, It's all comparative, right? Sin is grotesque. Uh, The fact that we are uh, lost, and not just to God, but to ourselves, uh, that we, we foul our own nests. You know, uh, we have made a mess of the creation that God has entrusted to us. Uh, that's grotesque. Uh, and we can list all kinds of other things that are grotesque. That is distorted beyond what they were meant to be. Grotesque is simply taking something that was created perhaps to be beautiful and then distorting it. Artists use this as a way of getting our attention. Um, Dali, not Hello Dali, but Salvador Dali. Uh, or Picasso, they, 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 they distort, they make grotesque what, was, what should be a beautiful image of, of something. Uh, and so God is saying to us, I have provided what you need, and it might look grotesque to you, but if you've ever watched a surgery, now that's grotesque. Uh, if you've ever tried to watch a surgery, uh, most of us faint or throw up or simultaneously do both and wake up with a nurse standing around you saying, are you sure you want to try to watch this thing? You know, the cure is, is outrageous, perhaps. So what we're faced with in Advent is this incredible promise of God fulfilled. And as much as we, we dress it up with a lot of wonderful stuff, at the heart of it is a baby came to die. And that's just shocking. None of us who've had babies, seen babies born, have raised babies, can even get our head or heart around that. But Jesus is the hope of the world because he's God's sacrifice for us. He alone can provide the salvation that all creation and everything in it needs. And this is a somber, sobering moment that you have to come to in Advent. This is so beautiful. This is so precious. This is so tender. Uh, this is God's promise fulfilled. And then you think, oh, oh man. Does it have to be this way? Jesus himself on the night that he was, uh, before he was crucified, the night he was arrested, said, Lord, if this cup could pass, but not my will, but yours be done. So even Jesus uh, faced the momentum 
uh, the momentous uh, reality of what that meant, uh, but allowed the momentum of God's promises uh, to continue uh, to the one solution that we needed. So we see John saying it this way. Uh, John, one of Jesus' disciples, later wrote a, a salvation history of, of Jesus. It's called the Gospel of John. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. What is out of our reach, beyond our capacity to see, uh, God himself said, I will, I will come to them. I will take the initiative. Uh, I will reveal myself to them. Here's how we're going to do it. And so what exactly does Jesus provide for us? This is a, an amazing thing we, we read here, but what does it mean that he actually, what does it actually provide for us? Well, the first thing is access to God. It, again, part of our um, self-declared uh, right of full access to all things in all places is that we would say, well, why would I need help having access to God? Because we hear that God is love and God's love is unconditional, we just don't hear quite as clearly or pay attention to the fact that God is also holy. This is lost on us. The concept of holy God is absolutely lost on our culture. The God who provides for us and probably owes us something, which is not really something we should say thank you for, because it's, he's giving us what we deserve and, and are entitled to. But to talk about God as holy and to invoke his holiness in any conversation is problematic in most cases. I don't know if you follow this at all. I mean, if, you, if you're thinking right now about examples of this in your own life, <clears throat> but if you're sitting in a classroom at UCSD at any university, I'm just picking on UCSD because it's close, and you said in, in an ethical discussion in the business school, in the School of Engineering, in sciences, you're across the street at the Sock Institute, and you're talking about medical ethics and research ethics, uh, we need this, can we do it this way? And you said, well, you know, let's start with the holiness of God. They'd be like, what are you talking about? We're starting with the grant that we have that we need to fulfill uh, to get all the funds we need to continue this research and to do what we need to do and bring something to market at some point. And so this is our dilemma. Uh, we love the, the message that God is love and God loves us unconditionally. God has come to give us fullness of life. It's all true. It's only true, though, because God is holy. Uh, without God's holiness, it would be an empty promise. Uh, years ago, uh, some high school kids I knew got some serious hot water, and the policeman was sorting it all out with these boys, these high school boys. And one of them, the pluckiest of them all, said, hey, officer, I'll tell you what, I'll take the responsibility for the whole thing. He goes, shut up and sit down. You have no basis for taking responsibility. You're one of the guilty parties here. You are going to jail with the rest of these guys. You have nothing to offer me that would justify these guys getting to go free. You're all guilty. You all stand without merit in the eyes of the law. Um, he, so these kids got a, a little mini sermon. And I don't know what this cop believed. I just know he understood how the law worked. And you have no bargaining power here. There's no leveraging for you. So it's the holiness of the law that uh, anybody who you know, breaks the law is standing before and it's the holiness of God that confronts us in Advent. Only God could make this happen. And so, first of all, Jesus provides us access to God, which is shocking. This is stunning. 
amazing because we assume we naturally have that. So God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. Moses is in the desert. He's, he has left Pharaoh. Uh, he's married. He has a family. He's, he's uh, the right-hand man running a large, massive ranch uh, for his father-in-law, Jethro. He's out in the wilderness, and he sees a bush that is not being consumed by what looks to be fire. He sees the image of what he thinks is an angel in it, and he comes closer it's no longer the angel that has his attention. It's this voice booming out saying, hey, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I imagine the don't come any closer was a warning that you'll be incinerated by the glory of God present in this bush, in this crazy situation. Don't come any closer. This is holy ground. Take your shoes off. Uh, Paul, the apostle, a rabbi who then became a, an advocate, an apostle for Jesus, says it this way. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. That's not, I hope he gets it and gets to hold on to it. It's, this is who he is, forever and ever. Amen. And then John again, writing in, in, um, the first chapter of his gospel says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Wow. Now this is why a lot of folks in the first century couldn't get their head around God coming into the world. They said it's not possible because they knew that the world was a compromised place filled with sin the Greeks had a way of talking about that. The Jews had a way of talking about it. Everybody had that. And so there were sacrifices all over the place. There were rules and regulations. There were, there were hierarchies of people. And Plato's hierarchy was, you know, there's the people of the earth, the sarkakoi, the flesh people, the mud people. There's the people of, of the soul, the sukakoi. But we, we Greeks, and if you're Greek here today, I think you'd agree with me. We, we, we Greeks are the pneumatikoi. We are the people of the spirit. And within the, the Greek culture, only certain Greeks. And so pl the Platonic ideal was that you know, we are as good as it gets in this fallen, compromised world. And God would never enter the world. In fact, he'd have to dumb himself down so many iterations before he could come into the world. He'd just be like us, but without having any of that godliness because it couldn't be compromised by the filth, the pollution of this world. See, see where this goes? Even non-believing cultures have this sense that we, there's something going on out there and we're not, we're not qualified. But you've been invited. In fact, you have to be invited. In fact, you have to be invited by somebody with credibility. Uh, you have to have a connection to have access to God. Uh, some of you have heard me tell this story before. Um, uh, years ago, me and a buddy were... I didn't want to go to the first semester of college, so we're hitchhiking around the United States seeing friends. Um, my friend had been playing music at, at a Young Life club, met all these kids from around the country, and so they said, hey, come visit us. And so uh, we were hitchhiking around the country, meeting people, hanging out, playing music at Young Life clubs, and just hanging out, having a good time. And we're in, Oklahoma, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is beautiful, and um, uh, staying with his family, and this girl is on the phone, uh, the girl who's, we were the guests of, she's talking to her friend who lives in Oklahoma City who says, oh my gosh, uh, these guys are from California, you have to have them come visit me on the way back to California from Tulsa to, 
through Oklahoma City. So we said, yeah, sure, great. So we're hitchhiking. The guy picks us up. He goes, yeah, I'm going as far as Oklahoma City. We go, that's where we're going. He goes, okay, great. So we're driving along, and we get to Oklahoma City. He says, hey, where do you guys want me to let you off? We said, the governor's mansion. He goes, yeah, funny. Where do you want me to let you off? We said, seriously, the governor's mansion. Uh, you're going to the governor's mansion. Look, man, I'm not going to drive up there for you, for you to punk me. You know? No, 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 no. We're literally, we'll get out of here. No, no, I'll drive you up. But are you really? Yes. We drive up. There's a guy who does not have a neck. I don't know how this is humanly possible. This guy's all biceps and traps and a head. The head looks like it's going to blow up. It's so tight and everything is shaved off of it. He's, he's no neck and he looks big and imposing. And he says, can I help you? And he says it like, can I help you get a haircut? Uh, can I help you get out of town? Can I help you get out of my face immediately? Now, the guy behind the wheel is like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. You know, he's, he didn't say anything, but he's got that attitude like, oh, I don't, how did I get in this situation? And so we said, no, we're here to see the governor. It didn't sound convincing to us either. I mean, it sounded like, are you, did we dream that we were invited to do this? And we're looking at each other saying, I think, isn't this, yeah, we're, we're invited, we've been invited to visit the governor. Okay, sure, you're right. So he calls up, next thing, you know, he's, he's making that look on his face like, I've seen everything now, you may go, you know. So we go see the governor. Jesus is our credibility. Jesus is our connector. You don't just have access to the Father. But he wants us to have access to him. He's made it possible for, for us to have access to him. That's his provision. Jesus is the way we have access to the Father. Later, uh, we find out that nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. Wow. So Jesus is our personal, cred uh, credible connection to God. If nothing else, that's enough. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's talking to his disciples. He's just saying, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, how, do we, how do we know where it is? Uh, you know? And he explains this to them. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the Lord also provides his word, his Holy Spirit, uh, his holy people, the church. Uh, he provides spiritual gifts. He gives us all these resources for our well-being so that we can actually appropriate this relationship, that we can grow into the fullest experience of this relationship uh, through access to God. It's not just like, hey, I met God one day and I've got, a, I've got an autograph. You know, if we sat in this room uh, long enough, it'd be fun to hear all the stories of all the famous people, infamous people, interesting people that you have ended up meeting along the way. And knowing some of you, I know some incredibly fun and funny stories about people you've met and the circumstances in which you met them. And, and, and so that's kind of one of those fun things to talk about, right? But if you say, well, then, well, do you guys still get together for Thanksgiving or what? You know, no, no, I just, I just met him one time and backstage and or in this situation and we, you know, we were stuck in the elevator or whatever it was. It was a brief, brief thing. But this access that God gives us sets us up for a lifetime of relationship and an eternity, an eternity of relationship with him. And so he's given us all this content to fully develop us in this relationship. He accepts us as we are 
but he takes us, he provides for us that which we would never have access to to get to where we could never ever go without it. So uh, in addition to his word, his Holy Spirit, his church, spiritual gifts, how about things like qualities like love, grace, acceptance, truth, peace, assurance of salvation, answered prayer. All these certainties that come with access to him. Uh, he provides uh, access to all kinds of new relationships. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced relationships like you've never, ever experienced anywhere else, right? Is that true? You've seen broken relationships healed. You've seen uh, people who had no hope be filled with hope. Uh, you have a different way of seeing you and the world around you. Uh, you have a different understanding and experience of marriage or parenthood. Uh, you're a different person in the marketplace because of it. Having had hundreds of those conversations, being privileged to have hundreds of those conversations. I remember one time years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was staying with these, these folks whose ministry was to work with leaders. And they said, hey, would you mind meeting with this guy who he's, he's visiting with us and uh, he's really getting used to what it means to know Christ. And so I said, yeah, sure, you know. And so I sit down with this guy and, <clears throat> and uh, he said, so you're a pastor, right? I said, yeah, yeah, how about you? He said, uh, I'm, I'm basically a businessman and executive. I said, what do you do? And he goes, well, for the last five years I've been in prison. I said, whoa, whoa why were you in prison? He said, because the million dollars they were pl- paying me to run uh, the Red Cross just wasn't enough. And so I was spending another million dollars of their money and doing all kinds of other things. And like, whoa. He said, so, you know, these guys have helped me come to know Christ. And a bunch of other executives like me get together and we talk about, like, whoa. And he said, you know, it's just a whole new world I didn't even know about. I mean, I was, I was around it. I knew people were Christians and all that, but I didn't know what they were talking about until now. I'm a new man, I'm a free man, not just because I'm out of prison. And, and, and so he, he was part of this group of people that were all connected to these people, uh, some of them whom are no longer with us, like Chuck Colson and these other people who had a, a great second act because God has said, I've given you all kinds of gifts. This time, don't misuse them. How about use them for my glory and to bless people? So this is a powerful thing. This access to relationships, resources, supportive community, mentoring, recovery, discovery, all that. So he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, this is Jesus, and I will give you rest. Specifically, I'll give you the shalom of God, the right relationship that you're created for with God, that we we call by way of shorthand, peace, shalom. Take my yoke upon you, that is the authority of who I am and the authority of what I bring and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is interesting. You know, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Why did he add that? Because in that world and in this world in which we live, every authority you know is a total raging egomaniac that needs to be restrained every day from telling you how awesome they are. And the ones who aren't raging egomaniacs overseeing your PhD program or overseeing your research lab or, or administrating the massive institution you're a part of, something has happened to those people to make them servant leaders. Be, to be kind, not to embarrass you by what you don't know, to humiliate you by your lack of power or lack of sophistication. But they found a way to lift you up. And those people are rare. Those men and women are the kind of leaders you say, I need and want more of that, right? 
Those are the kind of enlightened leaders that we all crave for. So Jesus is saying, this is who I am. As, as your spiritual authority, I'm not going to lord it over you in the way that you're used to. The reprimand and humiliation. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So what do we learn from Jesus, from parents, from mentors, from other guides in life? It's something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. What do those sound like? Access words, right? For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You have full access, not just to God, but to life through him, to your own inner life. So a person who asks a wise counselor to help them sort out the stuff inside them, who helps them move from one addiction or another to a sense of freedom, uh, who helps them overcome their anger so they can not be an abusive husband or wife or parent, who isn't taking somebody else's money and using it as if it were their own. Wow. Wow. I can ask for that help. I can seek that help. I can knock on doors and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Would you join me in doing it? Right? Powerful, powerful, powerful statement of full access. So what are we and what are you doing with what he's providing? What are you doing with what he's providing you? How are you managing all these resources you have access to that all you have to do is ask and seek and knock and they're yours? Now, it might take a long time to get what you ultimately want. It's a long way from first grade to when they hand you the MD, PhD, EDD, whatever you're going for. It's a long arc there. But every year you're making progress toward it. So asking doesn't mean an immediate answer. It means you get engaged in a process, perhaps, an ultimate solution that has a lot of components to it. Why? Because your development is part of the process. The going is as important as the getting there in our development as people. And that's why if you go to a counselor, if you sit at the first session, listen, uh, I'm going to spend about 10 grand with you over the next year. Five grand with you. Can we just cut to the chase? I'll give you the money. Just tell me what to do and I can get on with my day. They say, I wish I could. It would be easier for both of us, especially with that opening statement. But really, I'm, I'm here to facilitate for you a process. I could give you all the answers. After a few sessions with you, I'll know exactly what you need, but you won't. And until you know what you need and tell me, aha, I needed it, I didn't really need you, then I'll know I've been successful. Why am I paying you? I, I've just figured it out. Yes, you have. It's been a good nine months, and I hope you have a good rest of your life, right? You see how powerful this is? How are you managing you? Well, no, you said God provides. Yes, he does. He provides the means for us to grow. How are you managing your part in your growth? Effort is not against grace. Well, notice I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are saved by grace. You grow by effort, supported by God's grace. God's grace and love allows you to grow. You can't put it on God to grow you. He'll simply give you everything you need to grow. Is it, you follow this as common sense, right? But it's not really the common sense you'd like it to be. Why? Because the theology I'm talking about is not what we get in our culture. 
It's this theology that makes us doable and workable, sustainable, dependable. In our, in our secular culture, we think we have far, obviously access to God if, if he deserves it. We have what we need. We'll get it together if we want to. And we, we, we discount the theology that is, is essential that only God can provide to get us there. See, God is blessing us to be a blessing. And being you in Christ is your best work. It's a work. Not works to be saved. It's a work of working out your salvation. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not in a cringing, oh no, am I good enough? I don't have what it takes. Fear and trembling is, I am standing in front of holy God who's invited me into his presence, given me full access, entrusted to me these precious resources. And he's saying, go for it. I'll be with you every step of the way. I'll give you my Holy Spirit to empower you. I'll give you all this data, all this content to equip you. Will you commit? And that's the holy trembling that Paul's talking about. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. It's not be fearful and trembling. Don't do anything. You're so paralyzed with fear. But rather, realize the incredible privilege that you've been given to bear this. Uh, he says it in another place in his letter to the Corinthians. It's like treasures in little jars of clay. So if you're the famous archaeologist and you come into the, the tomb or the temple or whatever the, the area is and you're looking for really ornate things, you go, ah oh, man, I didn't find anything but this little clay thing. And you put it to the side and they go, I guess the tomb was robbed, the, the temple was robbed. And somebody, an assistant comes up and picks it up and says, it's kind of heavy for a clay thing. And they look at it and they realize, oh, there's a seal. Somebody, with, when the clay was wet, and they pop off the top and it's loaded with zillions of dollars worth of precious stones. You say, this content does not go with this container. Yeah, that's a pretty good description of you and me. Our, our precious content does not look like it should be in this container. If I came up to anybody and said, you know, it's Christ to me that is the hope of glory. Uh-huh, see, you are laughing. This is the initial thing you cannot do. You have to start, you start laughing, go, oh, that's good. You know, so, uh, so our first date, uh, what can I tell you about you? Well, I'm a beloved child of God, how about you? Like, okay, hey, check, please, uh, look at the time, it's just, you know. See, remember that our worth is not our work, okay? So this work that we're doing is not our worth. I'll be worth more if I do more work. No, your worth is established. Now we get to work out the implications of it. Our worth is anchored in his work, and so we are called friends dearly loved by God. That's how we're described in the scripture. Friends dearly loved by God. That is your absolute, right, rightful, truthful, in Jesus' name, description. You are a dear friend of God. You are loved by God. You are a beloved child of God. And so the work we do isn't earning our worth, but applying our worth in our work, right? Are you with me on this? So it's not happy talk, wishful thinking to say, uh, I'm a child of the king. What is the downside of every child, son or daughter, of a king or queen? What is their downfall? They don't do the work. They don't and won't do the work. And therefore, they lose all authority and all credibility because they weren't vulnerable or humble. And the kingdom either goes down or they go out. Edward VII is history. George VI, 
You're sitting there watching the movie King's Speech, and you go, this guy is awesome. This guy is awesome. He had every deficit going against him as a child of the queen and the king. And what did he do? He said, I'm going to do the work. We love it when people do the work, don't we? When they do the hard, hard work. And they might make very little effort, or not effort, but uh, um, um, uh, outcome. Uh, that, that amazing story about the young woman, Jill Kinmont, who broke her neck skiing in a race at, at uh, Mammoth. And, and she was on her way to the Olympics, and it was just a horrible thing. And uh, she became this remarkable person. Uh, lived in Bishop her whole life. At one point, her uh, you know, jet-setting boyfriend uh, kept hearing from her in these dictated letters that she was making phenomenal progress. And uh, it was okay for him to come visit now. So he visits her, and he shows up with this big box, puts it on this table. And he's not even noticing her condition as she's propped up in this chair. He plops the box down. He goes, there it is. And she's like, um, hey, well, open it. Yeah, okay, sure. Takes the wrapping off the bow, opens it up. It's brand new ski boots. She's like, ah, oh, it's so nice of you. Thank you. He said, yeah, well, so what was the thing you were going to tell me and show me about your progress? She goes, look. Look at that. He, he's just like, what? He's crestfallen. She sees it, right? She spent months getting to where she can get enough control to lift her hand up. And he's going, see ya. So the work we do is part of our fullest development. The outcome itself isn't the point. It's the process of us applying our worth in Christ, in our work for Christ. And he never says, you know, that wasn't good enough. What he says is, let's keep going. We're making some progress. So it's a progress now, perfection later. You're fully accepted in Christ. You have assurance of salvation. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of Christ. You're good to go for eternity. Who you are is who you are in him, both now and forever, and yet we can make progress. That might sound like an intimidate, two things that don't go together. Free will and God's sovereignty, right? That kind of thing. But brothers and sisters, Paul writes to the Philippians, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And not just in a detached way, but think about them as if you can do them. This is where you're going. This is who you're about. You're reminding yourself who, who you, what your mission is and who you're serving. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. It's not, and then the God of peace might be with you, but say, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the good news. He's with you every step of the way. Final thing I want to say is this. God has provided a reason to celebrate life. If he's given us full access, he's given us all these resources, and this is what brings us to this wonderful season, Christmas, is that God has provided a reason to celebrate life joyfully and generously. That's one of the great things about Christmas. It reveals our capacity to celebrate well. Now, to celebrate well is that at the end of it, you're not throwing up or driving a car into a wall or, or hurting somebody or saying things you don't remember and, but will regret. 
Uh, it's celebrating in a way that makes you feel more alive, not more miserable. It's celebrating that makes you feel like anything and everything I've gone through getting up to this point is so worth it. When all the effort you went to to get that gift off the container ship so that the five-year-old would have what they had hoped for, and then you spent hours way too late in the night putting it together, wondering who in the world wrote these instructions, and when the kid finally gets it and is playing with it and is, you see the glee and the joy in their face, you go, it was all worth it, mostly. <laughs> it was all worth it. And so God has provided a reason to celebrate life joyfully and generously. Uh, God commanded Israel to celebrate daily, weekly, and throughout the year. So you see these three celebrations, national celebrations, but then there was the, the weekly celebration of Shabbat, right? All these celebrations foreshadow and signpost his appearance in the world. Every one of those celebrations of Israel, Passover, what is it if not a foreshadowing, a signposting of the fulfillment of God's promises in Christ? The angel of death passes over the house that's marked with the red cross. And so the angels can say with true conviction, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. You're going to want to celebrate this, people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people because today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so food, decor, gifts, singing, laughter, storytelling, playing, resting. Uh, Jesus said he came to bring us all that in its fullness. This, this sense of a life well lived no matter how humble or how exalted uh, your, your house or, or your uh, menu is. As they say, just the most simple food with really dear friends is really a good feast. The last fig Newton in the middle somewhere out there in the high Sierra with, with a bunch of friends, and you're all going, there's one fig Newton left? <laughs> Who planned the food in this trip? Uh, well, we're going out tomorrow, so it'll be fine. You know, we got one more thing of you know, um, ramen uh, that is now in atomized pieces because it's at the bottom of somebody's pack, but... But tonight is the big celebration, and I've got this final Fig Newton I'd like to share with you. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, 12 of us. Okay, so, right? And you're going, this is fantastic. This is so good. Though I will be at Schatz's Bakery soon and having one of those sandwiches that are this big. But So how can you extend God's provision to others this Christmas? How can you, having been provided for by God himself, extend that provision in some way? Simple or, or grand. How can you extend God's provision to others this Christmas? Uh, let, me, let me offer this to you. Let all your giving and celebrating being, be an authentic gesture of love. Uh, I had to give you a gift, so here it is. But rather, you know, I had no idea what to get you. I tried to get the thing you wanted, and, you know, that was, but the ship that it's on keeps keeping it safe until we get it in May. You know, but in the meantime, this is what I got. And I just want to tell you how much I love you, how much I appreciate you. That goes a long way. That's real. Uh, give what you can to whomever you can, whenever you can, however you can. And make this a Merry Christmas no matter how hard it may be for you right now. It's a tall order. There might be a lot of things weighing heavy on you right now. And you're going, ah, oh, easy for you to say. Uh, not so much for me. Uh, it's hard, really hard. Well, I would tell you to embrace uh, some Christmas songs. Not to distract you, but to reinform you and remind you what this is about. Uh, one of my favorite ones is that one, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. You know that one? Uh, we have totally screwed up the punctuation in modern times. We, we, changed, we have literally, literally changed the punctuation from its intended uh, order. 
the way it was written and punctuated is not what we sing. See, because our, our thinking is it's about uh, merry gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Have an awesome time, you guys. It's God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen and gentlewomen. God rest ye merry. Okay, what's the point? Well, uh, it makes a big difference. Because what follows is really important. God rest ye merry, people. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Good news. So rest ye merry. That phrase literally, rest ye merry, means being peacefully content in what God has provided for you. I'm not reading into it. This is exactly what it was written to mean. This, is, this was the context of the original language and punctuation. Being peacefully content in what God has provided you. This is why nobody ever gets tired of reading O. Henry's short story, The Gift. He gives up his watch for which she bought the fob. She gives up her hair for which he bought the comb set. And you go, no, 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 it's horrible. All oh, this can't happen. And they're madly in love and it's all good. If, if nothing else, his lack of a watch and her short hair reminds him, we did this for love. We can rest merry in this moment. How about this one? You know, Singing peace on earth, goodwill towards men is a hard thing this time of year for a lot of people. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Yeah, sure. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Mm-hmm. Not my story. But singing that, in, in, even though it's not your story, singing peace on earth, goodwill towards men, proclaims our hope in Christ. Uh, this is what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow did when he um, went into a deep, 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 dark depression. His life caved in on him. Now, he, was, he, he had written, every school kid, every learned person read him in his day. It was around the time of the Civil War. Everybody read Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, whether it's about Hiawatha or, you know, Kichigumi, you know, whatever. Uh, they were reading it. But he went into this deep, dark depression. Why? Because his wife, who his beloved wife, died in a kitchen fire. His beloved son is wounded during the Civil War in a battle. Horribly wounded. They don't know if he'll survive, and if he does, what's, gonna, what's he going to be able to do? And then hearing bells ring at Christmas made him bitter. He just ground in the pain and the alienation and the loss and the depression he was in. Oh, right. Peace on earth could build to men. Hmm. But then, but then, he remembered God's provision. And I don't know how it happened. I wish I could have interviewed him and said, hey, what happened? Well, I just felt this nudge of the Holy Spirit to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have every reason to be despondent. You're in a grief and loss mode. This is a time of lament for you. But just put that in context. That Jesus is the only hope for this world. For your dear and beloved wife, he's the only hope. For your, your dear and wounded son, he's the only hope. For all the chaos that's surrounding us in this country, it's our only hope. Jesus is the only hope for this world. And it moved him to, to own his feelings and then to compose a poem uh, that we now uh, use as a Christmas hymn. And I'll give you, a, 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 I won't read all the verses, but let me read the first and then the last verses to you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat 
of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Powerful resolution. Owning what he was feeling and what he was experiencing. And in the midst of it, reclaiming God's provision for him and for the world. So, rest merry in Christ this Christmas. Whatever your circumstances, whatever things that are weighing heavy on you, whatever things that are just out of reach for you, Jesus is the hope of the world and he provides what we need. His light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, uh, for my family, for my brothers and sisters here. That your light shines in the darkness this very moment. The darkness cannot overcome it. Evil will not prevail. Satan cannot win. Uh, for you have said it is finished, it is done. A new creation is in the making. Your kingdom has come, your will will be done. And Lord, we get and have the joy and the privilege of being a part of that. So I thank you for all you've done to provide for us in so many ways, great and small, within us and around us, bringing us together, sending us out, calling us back together to sing your praises and to reflect your glory. So we thank you and praise you for this incredible and wonderful season we call Advent. And in your name we pray, amen. Go tell it on the mountain The one that we've been waiting for The king of our salvation Born on this day our Savior Christ the Lord Go tell it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere That we can be forgiven The weight of all our sin He came to bear Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is born. Emmanuel.
Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is born. Go tell it on the mountain. from heaven angels fill the sky with highest praise Emmanuel God with us Emmanuel King Jesus the Savior of the world is born Emmanuel God with us Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is born. Go tell it on the mountain. This baby born of virgin birth, the ruler of all nations. The glory of our God has come to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior of the world is born. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, King Jesus, the Savior. expressing uh, the hope that we have, uh, what we celebrate today. Every day we get, every Sunday we get together to worship. Every time we meet in a small group to talk about our journey in Jesus. Uh, come uh, this Friday if you're in town at four o'clock and, and gather with all kinds of people outside and, and for that beautiful candlelit service uh, to remember who we are in him, what he's doing in us. If there's anything we can do to help you uh, take whatever is that next step for you, coming into a relationship with him, growing strong in him, recovering from um, getting off track, whatever we can do to help you, uh, we want to do that. Uh, before you leave today, if there's anything we can pray with you or for you about, go right out around the corner. There's a lovely prayer garden uh, on this side of the building, and, and there'll be somebody there to have a prayer with you before you go. We want to glorify God and bless people. Why? Because that's what he's provided for us. It's who we are. It's what we're called to do and be. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you could even ask or imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.